Country Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. It's Wednesday, November 4th. At least for everybody listening at home, we're actually taping this on the 2nd. So if you are tuning in to today's Industry Focus Wildcard Wednesday episode, expecting to hear something about the election, expecting to hear something about the crazy markets, you're actually not going to get that this episode. I'll redirect you to one of the Motley Fool's other daily podcasts, Market Foolery, as well as Motley Fool Live, if you are a subscriber to the Motley Fool, to get great content about the election. But for this episode, and I'm your host, Emily Flippin, for this Wildcard Wednesday, But for this episode, I am joined by the true tumultuous titan of terribly tough tongue twister titles, Brian Feraldi. Good title, Brian. That one was a painful one. You nailed it, Emily. I'm really disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. That was great. I might have had some prep before, but Brian, you and I are Oh, that's cheating then. (laughs) You know, Dylan goes in cold to these things and puts the pressure on. Exactly. I mean, look, Dylan's on a different tier than I am. You know, I have to prep. Dylan's just naturally efficient. Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. (laughs) Brian, you and I are going to be taking a deeper look at a frozen food company um, that's really looking to expand the trend of plant-based nutrition. The company is The Tattooed Chef. And hopefully, if you are a listener who's looking for a little bit of reprieve from the constant election talk, today's uh, frozen food conversation will serve your needs. But Brian, thank you for joining as always. Uh, Happy to be here. This is a, a company that I came across by somebody on my my Twitter feed when I put out uh, a tweet about, hey, what kind of 10-baggers do you think could be out there? This ticker came up. I'd never heard of the tattooed chef before, but uh, d- did a little bit of, uh, of digging in, thought it was interesting enough to bring it to the industry-focused audience. Yeah, I'm happy you, you brought this up because it's a company that I had heard of only in name. Analyst Joey Salitro actually messaged me when it IPO'd. He's always on top of the most uh, recent IPOs. And Having not looked at the company at all, he simply told me it's a frozen food, plant-based nutrition company. And my immediate thought was, oh, that's going to be a a malarkey, right? It's going to be nothing, just nothing good here, frozen food. And look, I get it. I'm I'm flexitarian myself. But the idea of a publicly traded frozen food company where all they do is make lean cuisines that are plant-based, that just, just sounded ridiculous to me. But when you messaged me and you said you wanted to talk about it, I was like, Oh, okay. Well, it has Feroldi interested, so I should be interested. It has Joey interested, so maybe I need to give it a little bit more thought. And I was a little bit impressed, actually, when I was reading through it and doing my initial round of research. Um, what can you tell us about the basics of this company? Yeah, well, first off, A-plus for bringing back the word malarkey into the conversation, Emily. <laughs> I was, I I was mean... <laughs> trying to think of a podcast-appropriate word to use to say how I felt about reading this, and a load of malarkey um, maybe sounded the best. Well, you got an A-plus from me from, from that. That's a word I haven't heard, oh, I don't know, in a decade or two. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, the Tattooed Chef, uh, an interesting company. They came public earlier this year via a SPAC, an S-P-A-C, that's a Special Purpose Acquisition Company. That is a trend that we've seen really take off in 2020, where more and more companies are choosing to forego the traditional IPO process and come uh, public via via a SPAC. 
So far, the company's up about 50% uh, since it, it hit the public market. So clearly, there was investor demand for this company. And the current market cap is about a billion dollars. And as you kind of teed up at the beginning of the show, they are focused on selling plant-based foods, very similar to the likes of, say, Impossible Foods or even Beyond Meat. But they are going specifically after for now anyway, the frozen food category. So they're a lot most of their products are, are can be found in the frozen aisle as opposed to in the meat aisle. Yeah, that that to me immediately makes me lose interest. <laughs> I'm I, I'm obviously coming in with a with a strong opinion here. Again, Brian, you're gonna break down why this company is actually really interesting. I have to say though, what made Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat so interesting to me, both as a consumer and as an investor, is that they broke out of the frozen food aisle where all the plant-based alternatives were always stuck. You could always find your plant-based alternatives frozen, but nobody ever, when purchasing meat thought to go to the frozen food aisle to look for those products. So the fact that Beyond and then Impossible got the the coveted placement in the meat aisle, it meant consumers actually saw them potentially as a meat substitute. So to me, just hearing you say that, it makes me think the tattooed chef is almost taking a step back. It's going back into the frozen food aisle, but maybe I'm not giving consumers enough credit here. Maybe this is such a big trend. We have all now been trained to look for plant-based alternatives wherever they may be, even in the frozen food aisle. Hot take there, Emily. And my <laughs> when it comes to strategic, strategic uh, decisions like that, I never pretend that I know as much as the management team. And I always just say, well, you, you pursue whatever strategy you think is right, and then I'll judge your results based on the numbers that you put up. So that's how I like to uh, do it. But you, you, could, you could be right there uh, about this. That's why you're a great investor, Brian. Let's be clear here. A lot of times, emotion clouds the investment process, right? I clearly have a lot of emotion coming into this conversation. You really do. And I'm, I'm, I'm loving it, though. But uh, the, the business, what was interesting to me is when you dig into the history of this company, uh, first off, it wasn't founded as the Tattooed Chef. Second off, it wasn't founded as solely a plant-based company. The company was actually founded in 2009 uh, by the who the, the current CEO. His name is uh, Sam Galetti. Uh, the company was founded as Stonegate Foods, and the idea was to import food from Italy to sell in the United States. Uh, Sam Galetti, he had decades of experience in the in the food industry, and this was a company that he started from scratch. The good news here is that he still owns a sizable amount of this company uh, on his own. He owns about 48% uh, of the stock, and his uh, his partner and the president of the company, who uh, who operates out of their uh, Italy, their facility in Italy, uh, his name is uh, Giuseppe Berardi. Uh, he owns about three percent uh, of the company. Now, this company, uh, they a private equity firm owns about another 7%. So between those three, that is some serious uh, inside ownership. The company took a different turn in 2014 after Sam, the founder, hired his daughter, Sarah, uh, as the uh, as the company's creative officer in 2014. Sarah is a foodie and a chef who spent a lot of time uh, training uh, in, in Italy. And Sarah... Uh, convinced the company to launch a brand new brand at the company called the Tattooed Chef. That was launched in 2017, and it was named after Sarah, who is a chef with, wait for it, tattoos. That's where Shocker. the name comes. Shocker. Uh, but uh, hey, they've done a great job of branding, uh, branding, branding the company, as we'll see when we get into the results. But 
Sarah's idea was to make a, a, a company that was completely clean, that really played in uh, all of the modern trends. So this is a plant-based uh, foods, it's it's organic, uh, it's, it's non-GMO. The company is actually completely vertically integrated to the point that they actually plant, manufacture, and produce all of their own foods uh, themselves. No. At, and it's the, frozen? And they sell the, it frozen? And they sell it frozen. Well, some some of it's uh, it's sold frozen. The longer term plan is to is to change that. But they operate two facilities. Uh, one is in Italy, which is where most of their food comes from, and a second one they recently uh, built in in Los Angeles. But the idea here is farm to table operations, where they literally go from planting the food to getting it on uh, consumer shelves. And as we'll see when we get to the numbers, so far so good. Yeah, this is this is blowing my mind right now. Why you would vertically integrate essentially a food distributor, right? You're growing the food, you're packaging, you're selling, you're producing, all of that process they have in-house. And instead of making fresh food that demands higher margins, they're making frozen food. And yeah, I guess it stays better longer, but it is a really interesting strategy. And I, I do want to hear, we be kind of bury the lead here. I want to hear a little bit more about their sales or finances, what makes this company interesting. Because if you're going this direction, I can't think of another company that has vertically integrated their entire food processes and then starts selling it frozen in grocery stores. I mean, it's just blowing my mind right now. What are they selling? What, what are these products? Well, they, they offer up a, a range of different uh, products right now, and they're broken down to a couple uh, big categories. So their, their number one category would be like uh, pre-made meals. Uh, that's about 35% of their sales. They also offer smoothie bowls. Those are about 20% of sales. They also offer frozen vegetables, uh, frozen pizza, uh, veggie spirals, uh, grains, and just a broad category that they call uh, other. So they are not... They are not completely tied to the success of one product. They have dozens of products that they have launched, all uh, mostly under the Tattooed Chef brand. Now, they, they have taken a strategy where half of their sales so far are company branded under the Tattooed Chef brand. Uh, about 53% of their sales are under that. They also have a private label business where they partner with a retailer who then you know uses their facilities, their foods, their everything, and then the retailer slaps their name on there. This is something that like Whole Foods has done with its 365 uh, brand, for example. So that's about... 47% uh, of the business. So just looking at that, the business is actually pretty well diversified in the revenue perspective. One of my favorite things to do in preparation for either podcasts or my work as an analyst at The Fool is to do company research. And the listeners can't see me right now, but I'm putting up little air quotes when I say research because I love to go out and just, especially when I'm looking at food, try the product. Um, and I have to say, I did wander around my local grocery store for a good fair amount of time this past weekend looking for some Tattooed Chef products. I was unable to find them. So if they're not serving me, uh, where are their products? They are. They're they're they're. In a lot of natural grocery stores right now, they actually don't call those out by name, but they are in some big box ones too. Uh, you can find their products in in Costco's, uh, in Sam's Clubs, as well as Walmart's. Now, I don't know if they're in every single Walmart and every single uh, uh, Sam's Club or every single Costco. Those are obviously, obviously massive uh, retail outlets, but they do have partnerships there. One of the things that the company calls out as a growth tailwind for them is that they are not in many of the other big name uh, companies. So, for example, I don't think they're in Target 
right now. Uh, they're not in a lot of the big uh, grocery store chains. Those are all opportunities for them down the road to increase their distribution. Yeah. When I didn't see them on the shelves at first, I took it as a negative. But when you're talking about a company that's just above a billion dollars in terms of market cap, that means it's still relatively small in the grand scheme of things, especially when you consider the market opportunity for plant-based foods. Therefore, if you're getting in now as an investor with this company going public via direct listing, theoretically, you're buying it for the growth opportunities. If they were already well distributed and still had the sales that they had today, it would be more of a red flag than a green flag. So I'm actually really excited about that. Getting into Costco, Walmart, and Sam's Club, I mean, these are not easy places to get into. So it says something about their strategy for reaching distribution chains. Uh, They clearly have the capacity not only to produce their branded products, but produce private label as well. There's a lot of things that when you talk about distribution, when you talk about their product lineup, do make me really excited. But when I think about the reason why investors uh, could be interested in buying Tattooed Chef today versus maybe five years ago is clearly because we're entering a different phase of consumer trends right now. It's really We talked about Impossible. We talked about Beyond Meat. There has been a huge focus on plant-based alternatives. So I'd love to hear you just maybe talk about the market opportunity, how you perceive it. Is it bigger than just plant-based alternatives or is in this case a rising tide lifting all boats? So I believe that the plant-based meat uh, uh, movement in food is a durable trend that is here to stay. I don't think that it's the right thing to write this off as a fad right now. I myself uh, consider myself to be a flexitarian, just like you. But um, my my household eats meat, you know, every single day. I have gone out and I have sampled a lot of these plant based meats, such as like Impossible and Beyond, and. I'm really excited about them. I think that they are delicious and I could easily see them being incorporated into my household. The problem with these alternatives right now is price. You are paying a premium, a big premium to go with these foods. And that is to me, mostly a problem of scale. The sales of these companies and these products are so new that they're just dwarfed by the, the meat industry in general. That is something that I could easily see changing over time. As these companies attract more sales, they can use that to increase their scale, drive down prices that will attract more sales, that will increase their scale, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that the plant-based meat um, is, is in a positive feedback loop, and it's entirely possible that 10 years from now, buying plant-based foods would be cheaper than buying uh, real meat foods. If that, is, if that is the case, then I could see this being extremely disruptive to the food industry. I don't want to derail the conversation too much from Tattooed Chef, but I really do agree with everything you just said. And I think it applies to more companies than just Tattooed Chef, arguably more directly to companies like Beyond Meat, again, that have broken out of the frozen food barrier. I think if you're an investor in these companies and they're companies I'm excited about, maybe we need to do a deeper dive if we haven't already on uh, plant-based foods in general in some future industry-focused episode. But if you are an investor in this trend, I'll call it a trend, not a fad. I think it's a long-term trend trend. If you're an investor in these companies, you're doing it because you genuinely believe the price point, in my opinion, will come down below the cost of meat. Consumers clearly have a demand for this product. If you look at the the retention rate for Beyond Meat, for instance, a majority of the people who buy a Beyond Meat product once will purchase it again. There is a clear demand here for the products that these companies are creating. But ultimately, when you are sitting, and I've been this consumer before, I was this consumer this last weekend, when you're sitting in the meat aisle 
and you know you want to make a pasta dish uh, that has some sort of meat-based sauce for dinner Sunday night, which I did, right? And you're looking and you're looking at the plant-based alternatives. That's two times at least the price of the meat alternative. You're thinking to yourself, okay, I want to make the better choice, but am I willing to pay twice as much for it? A lot of times I make the decision to pay more. A lot of times I don't. But I know for a fact if the price point came down, there would be many consumers like myself who would automatically go to the meat alternative every time they're making that choice. So I'm a big believer in everything you just said about the price point coming down. And I do agree that it comes with scale when you think about uh, companies like Tattooed Chef making the choice to be vertically integrated. They're turning in what is usually a very low margin business into a business that potentially has much higher margins, allowing them to get the price point down even further. Yeah, these guys have so many mega trends uh, be- behind them. I mean, there's a lot of uh, research that I've seen that suggests that you know, plant one of the, one of the, the greenest things you can do in your life isn't to drive a, a an electric car. It's actually to change your diet to a uh, to a plant based uh, one. Companies like Tattooed Chef, uh, Beyond uh, Beyond uh, Beyond Beyond Foods and Impossible, they they create opportunities for consumers to do just that. So that is a mega trend that is behind them, and I think it'll just continue to accelerate, especially as millennials continue to increase their uh, purchasing power. So when it comes to opportunity ahead of this company, it's it's just simply massive. The company pegs its current market opportunity in just prepared foods, feed, pizza, vegetables, fruits, and pasta grain and rice at a $27 billion opportunity just in the United States. Their near-term plans are actually to, to, to break into the dessert market, which could add in another $12 billion. And longer term, they hope to challenge um, beyond, beyond, uh, beyond, geez, beyond meat and uh, impossible foods. Don't know why I couldn't get that out there. Beyond meat. Um, so that right there, when you add all that up, just the United States, just in the frozen food sec- section, that's a $55 billion opportunity for this company. So if this company uh, does not succeed, it's not for lack of opportunity. And I know that because this company went public via a SPAC or is going public via a SPAC, we don't have a lot of information about the company's finances. We really only have what they've they've chosen to self-report. But when you do see what they self-reported in terms of their finances, um, what is the situation? Because I have to be honest, when I heard about this company, a frozen food company going public, my mind immediately went to liquidity need, right? This is an unprofitable company that's going public uh, to try to raise money, to, to try to find some equity markets that they could eventually tap long-term. Uh, but is that the case here? That's a completely fair thing for your mind to go to. And just like you said, since this did come public via a SPAC, there's no S1 for for us to, for us to look to. We are being given the information that the company has given us, and they haven't even reported their first quarterly report yet. That actually doesn't happen uh, until next week. But the numbers that we do have, shocker, look pretty good, uh, Emily. So this is a company that did $47 million in sales in 2018. This year, for 2020, they're estimating to do $148 million in sales. That's a triple in three years. They've actually gone out and said that next year, for fiscal 2021, we plan to do $222 million in sales. That's a 67% compound annual growth rate over that uh, four-year period. 
Importantly, that is much faster growth than the category in general. The plant-based food market is growing at about a 13% rate. Again, this company, 67% growth rate. So they are really taking uh, market share. Now we don't have Again, true financial data that we're looking at here. That's just why they're reporting. Uh, the, the next thing that they report is adjusted EBITDA, which is a metric that I just hate because there's so many things that can go into making this number look exactly as you want it. But we have clearly seen during this period of rising sales that adjusted EBITDA has grown from about zero to uh, they're, they're projecting a 14% adjusted EBITDA uh, margin uh, in fiscal 2021. That, if true, is quite an impressive number for, quote unquote, a frozen food company. I always get a talk about adjusted EBITDA. I want to say I report my adjusted weight. You know, if you take out Thanksgiving, if you take out the cake I ate last week, I actually lost a pound. So everything's fine. The reality is the adjusted EBITDA number says exactly what you want it to say. But what it is worth noting is that you can backtrack a lot of these metrics. And a lot of times companies like Tattooed Chef are adjusting for non-cash charges. So even that adjusted EBITDA positive number um, isn't terrible. There are plenty of companies that report adjusted EBITDA and it is still negative. Uh, so things significantly uh, could be worse in this case, but it's great to hear that it seems like there's uh, at least some sound uh, financial backing right to this company. There's there's unit economics here that are not immediately, in my opinion, going to destroy shareholder value. And, and before we, we sign off here, Brian, I, I know I respect your opinion. A lot of our listeners respect your opinion. You are constantly one of the people whenever we hear reviews, whenever we get emails, they're like, bring Feroldi back. So I know that people like to hear your take. You're a growth investor. Um, you're the mind behind great mini investments. Are you interested in Tattooed Chef today? The answer there for today is no. Uh, even though I see a lot of positives uh, about this company, uh, we talked about the the market opportunity is huge. Uh, the trend here is something that I firmly uh, believe in. I think the company actually has a lot of optionality to it, as we've seen that they've launched so many products just within the last three years, and they are clearly planning on launching uh, more. There's plenty of space for for them to grow. The limited financial data we actually have so far uh, looks pretty good. And we have a founder-led management team that is heavily invested in the success of those companies. All those things are, are positive. The bad things is that a lot of my big questions that I always have about companies, I don't know the answer to right now. Does this company have customer concentration? I can't imagine that the answer is no, given that they have Costco and Walmart and Sam's Clubs as client, but we don't have that, that information. The other thing is, what is this company's reaction to be going to be to life as a public company? Are they going to behave differently once they have a number over their head? Are they going to be a company that gives guidance and outperforms it? Or are they going to whiff uh, right out of the gate? We don't know that. How about the company culture? There are no Glassdoor ratings on this company that we could find. Zero. I did wow. searches for Tattooed Chef, for the old name of the company, for the Italian name of the company. None. Zero. So I don't have a good sense of, of what it's like to, to look at this company. The bigger question that I have and the most important question here is really about long-term competitive advantage in this industry and what that does to margins. The big food companies certainly are aware of this um, of the, the rise in plant-based food and the interest here in these products. And they are going to flood the market with alternative products of their own. 
If that happens, or excuse me, when that happens, because even at my local grocery store, I have like five or six different options when it comes to these kind of uh, uh, products. What is it that's going to protect Tattooed Chef and keep customers buying its brand versus another brand? For right now, the only advantage that I can see is branding, is the brand's name. That's it. Will customers, will customers en masse be willing to pay a premium for Tattooed Chef uh, products versus generic ones that, that come out? The answer there is, I don't know. I have actually a hard time seeing that happen. And if they don't, I could easily see management saying, we're going to quote unquote, invest in price, meaning we're going <laughs> to lower the prices of our products again and again and again. That's the problem with categories like this. You always have to think as an investor. While I believe that the entire category is going to grow and make hu- and create huge value, who captures that value? To me, society will capture that value and consumers will capture that value. I'm not yet convinced that investors will, will capture that value. The only exception that I would make is that if, if Impossible Foods came public. I see Impossible Foods as the leader here. I have tasted their products, and as a consumer, I would clearly be willing to pay more for Impossible Food brands my, myself. The downside is Impossible Foods is not yet public. But I would love to know your opinion here, Emily. I I think I generally agree with you. I, I think that the price point for all of these products needs to get down to where it is uh, achievable for most consumers in a way that you don't think twice when making the purchase. I think the problem that Tattooed Chef has is that their products really right now, the majority of them are prepared meals, prepared food. And at that point, you want to be the premium option. You don't want to be the cheap option because there are lean cuisines. When I'm sitting in the frozen food aisle and I'm trying to make the healthier choice for myself, um, I need a reason to go out and pick the tattooed chef. And I think the reason is we're organic, we're you know, we're plant-based, we have a great brand. Um, I'm not sure if you want to start competing with, with lean cuisines on prices. But either way, by this point that the, the show is airing on the 4th, I think it's fair to say maybe around half of Americans are feeling maybe pretty good, half are feeling maybe pretty bad. And for the people who are out there feeling maybe pretty bad today, if you're like me, you probably want to eat your feelings. And if anything, um, I hope today's show encourages you to go out, maybe get a tattooed chef meal to eat your feelings, maybe avoid the cake. Um, (laughs) Don't report your adjusted weight numbers as a result of this election. Uh, Get yourself some tattooed chef. I'm a big believer, and especially as somebody who focuses on the consumer goods industry, that your opinion as a consumer, as uh, for your, your portfolio as an investor is really important. So Try the food. Let us know if you like it. Uh, report back. I don't think Brian or I have has given the opportunity to try this product yet. No, and I look forward to it. The next time I'm in a grocery store, if I see something with the Tattooed Chef brand name on it, I will buy it and I will just try it myself. That's the great thing about investing in consumer good companies, right? Is you get to experience them from the consumer on the consumer basis and call it research. <laughs> yeah, Brian, I'm really living the dream right now. You have no idea. <laughs> Well, Brian, thank you so much for A, bringing this topic to the table today. I do hope to provide some reprieve for our listeners uh, from the election. It's been a fun conversation. Uh, but more importantly, thanks for always for, for joining me and bringing your insight. I really appreciate it. Anytime, Emily. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any opinions about the tattooed chef, about Brian Feraldi, about me, whatever it may be, you can always email us at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet at us at MF Industry Focus. 
As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the screen today. For Brian Feroldi, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and Fool on! Fool on!